but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We are coming to you from the car. We've got another car episode. But this time we are in a parking lot in Mason, Ohio. We've done uh, one of those before too. Yes, we have. <laughs> so we're here in Cincinnati for the Western and Southern Open. Uh, we have not seen much tennis yet, but we were able to talk to some WTA coaches today in a great event that the WTA staff put together. Uh, a lot of the top coaches on tour were there. And there'll mm -hmm. be more tomorrow. Uh, it's something unusual because it's it's fairly easy to talk to players at these because they're obligated to do press. Coaches, however, are not. We talked to David Taylor. We'll get you his interview one-on-one -on -one at a later date. But today, look at the end of this episode. Look out for our one-on-one -on -one with Sasha Bayan, who, as you know, was hitting partner and coach for Serena Williams for eight years. And he's since worked with... Sloane Stevens, Victoria Azarenka, and Caroline Wozniacki, and now most recently is currently working with Naomi Osaka. So we talked to him a lot about what it's like to work with Naomi, and we didn't have to ask. He volunteered some information on his thoughts about that tweet. Right. And if you are a Serena fan or Serena adjacent, you may know what we're talking about, but Sasha will lay it all out. It was totally unsolicited, by the way. <laughs> it was not messy. It, fun to talk to. We thank him for his time and look out for that. In the meantime, a lot of folks have been asking us how come we've been so silent about the Rogers Cup. Yes. And there's a very practical reason for that. It's the week leading, leading into Cincinnati. And I need to work to make up for the time that I'll be missing from work mm. while I'm Cincinnati in Cincinnati. So if I'm to do Cincinnati, I can't do the rogers cup i mean we yeah. wouldn't be press at the rogers cup either so there's that but also we normally try and get to at least a day or two of the tennis but we really haven't had any time at all to even pay much attention to especially the early rounds of that tournament right so unfortunately we were not on site at rogers cup this year for the first time in probably eight or nine years i want to yeah. say uh, we're usually just there as fans but uh, there was a lot of exciting stuff going on in Toronto for the men this year. Obviously, the story of the week is Stefanos Tsitsipas, just turned 20 today, beat four top 10 players in the same event. He's the youngest man to ever do that. We are just minutes removed from Nadal winning that title. It's his 33rd Masters 1000 title, three ahead of Djokovic now. He has, I believe, a 3,740-point lead over Federer at number one now. Uh, he wins. He picks up 900 for winning the title. And then Federer dropped, like, 600 because mm -hmm. he did not play in Toronto. So that was a 1,500-point swing, which is big news for Nadal, considering he'll be defending 2,000 points in Flushing Meadows in a couple of weeks. Yes. And he left Montreal last year very disappointed having lost to Denis Shapovalov giving Denis really his breakout win and he's done quite well for himself with that that win that really made his name right yeah he Rafa followed up was, with a good run at the US Open yes and Rafa was extremely disappointed 
and you could tell when he got to Cincinnati. Then he lost to Nick Kyrgios here. Really didn't have a very good hardcourt swing before winning the U.S. Open, obviously. But Stefanos, I mean, wow. this kid, like we've been talking about him bit by bit throughout this year. He's, you know, before this week, I think he had like 26 or 27 wins on the year. He only had four tour-level wins before this year. He's young. Like, this is one of those breakout years that happen very, very rarely, especially in men's tennis. The quality of players he's beating and kind of the sustained level of winning is just, it's not normal, right? It's not. And what I find unique about him is his personality. Because so many of the young men coming up, so many of the the next-gen players, so many of the players who are even like a few years removed from next-gen now, the Dominic teams of the world, they still don't quite have that charisma that Stefano seems to have in spades. (laughs) Today's his 20th birthday. He's 20, and he's having the success and being able to give us a little bit extra off the court as well. Right. Which is what we look forward to or look for in a player who is who is supposed to be the next big, big thing on the ATP, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting because a lot of the young players are probably not super comfortable yet being famous. They are here just to kind of develop as players, try to do their best on the court. But the personality thing, like the persona thing, is very new to them. So some players, like Naomi Osaka, for example, she has just been blessed with of great sense of humor, sort of a weird personality that she hasn't uh, she she hasn't guarded from us yet. And some other players, I think, are the opposite. They're they haven't uh, tapped into that yet. They're too young, <laughs> you know. Or it's not even a consideration. Like there's 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 so much that they have to worry about just getting the ball inside the lines. Yeah. To to then consider well. Do I have the personality to to rule this stage? Right. You know? It's like, okay, now I have to consider shining in press. Like, that's a pretty minor consideration, uh-huh. right? When you're trying to build a career. And we see some players who get the results on court and then they attempt to then develop that part of their personality. And that's stuff you can't fake. Mm-hmm. It, it shines through when right. it's kind of put on, right? So that's what I found most interesting about Stefanos this week, especially his... his interviews after the matches on court where he's it's like he's speaking in poems <laughs> i called him a poet prophet the next poet prophet of tennis and uh he comes at language in a, a unique way and not just english because it's not his first language i think he thinks through his answers in a very different way than other players do um he wrote like a treatise on the camera the other day (laughs) and what it said was it never gets easier you just get better and he has these catchphrases these like stefanos inspirational quotes everywhere it's so earnest and it's it's actually comes off as very endearing we saw a few other young players have not so great moments this week in toronto we had Sasha Zverev and his press conference after losing to, to Tsitsipas in mm-hmm. the semifinals. We had Denis Shapovalov, who, wow. <laughs> his match was postponed because of rain. And then the mm-hmm. next day, he was supposed to be playing on center court and eventually had to be moved to the grandstand. And then he tweeted out 
something that he almost immediately deleted. Yeah. Saying, just move to grandstand, hashtag home event. Something to the effect of, the, the implication being, you know, I'm the hometown boy. Why am I not on right. center court? And who got the center court spots were Raonic, who is a hometown boy, the OG hometown boy at this right. point, and Rafa Nadal. And you're not going to put Rafa on the grandstand in Toronto. It's just not going to happen. And it's still Milos' house, right? Yeah. He's earned that mm -hmm. at this point. And to his credit, he was asked about it in press because I think the initial response to that was like, whoa, come on, Dennis. Like, this is, <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Let's not have our head get too big. Right. Because, I mean, in Canada especially, it is a small world, right? He has been told that, like, dude, you are the next big thing. Like, you are our star. We're investing a lot in you. I think it would be easy for your head to balloon up and believe the hype, right? So I don't necessarily blame him. It was just a, it was a really unpleasant moment. And I think he probably realized that because he deleted the tweet so quickly. He may have felt a little hard done by, but I think, you know, he's young. There's some learning to do. He has only been famous for about a year. Like, it's a minor slip up. It was just like, oh, that's... There are still folks who say, well... This is the same dude who blasted the ball and hit the umpire in the eye. And we're repeatedly so quick to forgive his misdemeanors. Right. <laughs> it is, it's kind of wild that that story has really disappeared from public view. We don't talk about it in Canada at all. I, no. don't, know, I don't know about the rest of the world, but that's not something that, that you see covered ever. Um, there are two things that play to with this Dennis story and the moving of the court and the tweet and whatnot. We've, we've witnessed over the years the tennis press machine in Canada and how they hype up anybody with just a, just a tiny amount of talent yeah. as being the next big thing. And we've seen Dennis for years now, two or three years now, being assumed to be the next big thing in Canadian tennis. And then he had this big breakout last year in Montreal. And now he comes home to Toronto, top 30, with, let's be real, Stefanos made the final, a legit chance to go deep, mm -hmm. make the final, maybe win the tournament. It wasn't out of the realm of possibility. It wasn't like two years ago in Toronto where he was unknown to pretty much everybody outside of Canada and ended up beating Nick Kyrgios right. on opening night. That's, that's not the same guy. Like He had legitimate reasons to be excited mm -hmm. about him this year. He has cachet now. You yes. know, he's followed up his big breakout, like you said, with very respectable performances in majors. But there's an isolation that can take place within that Canadian tennis media vacuum. Set aside his results that are deserved of his position now. But in Canada, on home soil, when you're being told for years that you're the next big thing, and then you feel maybe that this is your moment. I can... I can see how he could get carried away right in this moment now the thing with Zverev just a quick correction that was a quarterfinal against Tsitsipas okay not a semifinal um that was a match that Sasha Zverev absolutely should have won I watched the end of it and the final game was just confounding I I watched it and I had to rewind it and watch it again because I didn't understand what happened like it, it Sasha just basically shat the bed in the final game it was unfortunate he was clearly not playing at his best level but as you've probably heard by now 
he said some uncharitable things about his opponent in the in the press conference. He said, I don't think Stefanos played well at all. It was a pathetic match at all levels. I think he mostly was referring to himself, you know, that his his own level was pathetic. And then he pivoted to say, well, you know, you guys know that I'm I'm always truthful. I always tell the truth to kind of excuse right. <laughs> the unsavory nature right. of his words. And it's, you know, these are sort of the unwritten rules of sportsmanship, right? You always do the cliche. You say, yes, my op- opponent played great. You know, just wasn't my day. They really took advantage, etc." Sasha's not the kind of person who's going to do that for you. And it's it's also not entirely surprising because he has many, many surly moments in press. I don't think that bugs him that much. No, but my question to you now is, is it refreshing in any way to have somebody say something like that, assess a match like that after the fact, <laughs> rather than go through the paces and uh, give you the rote answers to say, well, yeah, it was a good match. Sorry, I didn't win. You know, better luck next time. Well, I understand the line of questioning. My line of questioning? Yes. Okay. Um, the, you know, the rote answers are not really that interesting. If If he sort of gets media training and decides that he wants to be boring, his press conferences will be more sportsmanlike but less interesting. But at the same time, I don't I don't think that sort of frustration adds much to tennis reporting anyway. Like that's not interesting to me either. Because it's not that was more out of frustration. That wasn't an honest appraisal of the match. To say that Stefanos didn't play well. That's false. I mean, he can say that he didn't play well. We've seen right. it all the time. Yes. Especially in the woman's side with the Williams sisters. Like, well, more so Serena. Loses a match and be like, well, credit to her. She played well, but I played a total shit match. Right. Or some, you'll sometimes get the polar opposite with Serena and say, oh, this girl just played like the greatest of all time. Muhammad Ali's on the other side of the court, like, will overpraise her opponent to say, well, she's not normally that good, mm-hmm. you know? And that that has its own issues as well. But I think if you're Sasha and you say, you know, I didn't play well, my opponent went out there and did his job adequately. Mm-hmm. That That's not wrong. And it sounds a little bit better. Do you know what I mean? Because this Redmore is petulant, right? Yeah, he, yeah. At this point, he has a history of saying and being a little bit mean, overly cocky. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, yes. like... That's See, the read on Verve. This is what comes with honesty. If you want players to be honest, you're going to have to deal with mean sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I think you're trying to say that it can be done in a better way. It can be. I think you can be honest by saying, yes, Stefanos didn't play lights out, but he played better than me, and he did what he had to do to win the job, in the, to win the match in like a professional way. You and know? don't forget that like, Stefanos is having his breakout season. Mm. I've seen people talk about and speculate that maybe it's a tough pill for Zverev to swallow because he's losing to somebody who's younger than him. Oh, that must who's have been taking very annoying. the spotlight yeah. away from him in a tournament that he's defending. You know, he had this breakout season last year, winning all these Masters titles and being the absolute presumptive next number one. Right, right. And now here's this guy who's beating everybody. But, I mean, this is such a small hiccup. Zverev just won DC. 
Yeah. And he obviously he wanted to defend Rogers Cup, and I get that. Um, so, I mean, Perhaps. Sasha is going to Sasha. Like, he's going to do his thing. He's going to continue to win tournaments. Um, I think part of this is just some players, some of these next-gen players are going to, like, grow into the spotlight. I think Sasha is very comfortable in the spotlight. I think that as he gets older, he will probably mellow. Like a lot of the the so-called bad boys of yore, right? Andre Agassi, if I were a fan in 1990, I may not have liked him. But he his persona changed profoundly as his career went on. You know, I think a lot of these so-called brats do soften. And I, I could see that happening with Zverev as he becomes, if he becomes like an elder statesman. Mm-hmm. Mr. Nadal. What do you make of his run in Toronto? Yeah, I I have to say I am rather surprised by his run in Toronto. I did not expect him to win. Um, like I said, last year he did not really have a great hardcourt swing at the two Masters Series events. Uh, but that match against Stan Wawrinka was very encouraging. For Stan and for Rafa. Right. <laughs> Stan was showing signs... This was by far his best performance since his comeback. Uh, only, I think, only the second time he's won back-to-back matches, and then he almost snatched a set from Rafa. I mean, he could have snatched two sets from Rafa conceivably. Yeah. Um, there were there were moments where it was like, okay, Stan, this is Stan in full flight, and you felt like you know, watching that backhand, I was transported to like disbelief. At how does he generate this much pace on a one-handed backhand? Like it's an from amazing a ball thing that's watch. coming at him from such a high trajectory, right? And Rafa was up a set and a break. He broke early in the second set, and it looked like maybe he was going to run away with it. And something just switched on with Stan, and he began. He started playing more aggressively, flattening out the backhand more, and he he rattled Rafa for a little bit there, and it forced Rafa to come with another gear to finish mm-hmm. out that second set. That was high-octane stuff, yeah. thrilling to watch. Yeah, so I think this week, Rafa will gather a lot of confidence because he could have served better throughout the tournament, although his serve was, like, unimpeachable in that final for most of it. Until he went to serve for it. Up until, <laughs> so it was 4-2 in the second set, he had only lost two points on serve the whole match. I mean, he typically loses two points per serve game, you know, so I was impressed by that. But I think he just sort of gathered momentum throughout the week. You said that you're a little bit surprised that Rafa won this tournament. I think I'm at the point where I'm no longer surprised by anything Rafa does in this part of his career. Mm. Since okay. his most recent comeback from injury, we've seen him win everything on clay again. That part is settled. That much is known about Rafa again mm. at this point. And once he showed up to Wimbledon and made the semifinals and was a stone's throw from reaching the final and likely winning Wimbledon at 32 years old at this stage of his career, I mean, it, it told me that Rafa is is well and truly the world number one right now. Right. Shall we talk about the women? Yes. The women were in Montreal. That final, I mean, <laughs> we were kind of in and out of it. I watched a lot of the third set. It was wild. This is... And we've had a lot of very exciting women's finals this year on tour. This has to be one of the best. What we've we've seen now over the last 12 months 
is that Simona Halep and Sloane Stevens are easily the top two players in women's tennis. Yes. That much is certain. And now we've gotten a second final this year. The French Open won by Simona. And now Montreal won by Simona. Mm -hmm. Both going three sets. Both of them going toe-to-toe. And we're seeing mental struggles within the matches. It's that type of developing rivalry that folks have been craving in women's tennis. And who knew that these two women would be the ones to put their hands up. Right. And be the ones to, in this moment, post William's pregnancy and during her comeback to carry the flag for women's mm-hmm. tennis. It's uh, it's exciting to watch two of the most athletic players in the women's mm-hmm. game face off because it's almost, I mean, I don't want to compare it to men's tennis, but it's like watching a Djokovic Murray or a Djokovic Nadal, like these players throwing everything at each other, grinding each other down. It's so physically punishing for both women. Because there's physically nothing that either of them can't do. Right. And I I think, you know, a lot of people want Sloane to hit out more and are pinpointing times when, okay, she really should have imposed her power more. But uh, Simona does make it difficult. And her defense is, is begging for you to hit out and miss. You know, so I wonder what sort of tactical things are going through Sloane's head when she's in the middle of a, a match like that. She was clearly very disappointed in losing. It was kind of refreshing to see that from Sloan because you don't often see her vulnerable. She doesn't allow us to see that part of her. She was clearly devastated by this loss. She hasn't put herself in positions to be vulnerable before <laughs> because true. she was 6-0 in finals. Mm. With the French Open loss and with this loss in Montreal, we're seeing her having to deal with strife on the tennis court right. in these big pressure moments. For a long time, it all looked so easy. And that was mm-hmm. partly why it was so difficult to really get a full grasp on just how good she was, what exactly she, what exactly she was doing on court, to really situate Sloane Stevens anywhere. Right. You know, make sense of her by herself and then in, in relation to other players. Because... Who who knew? <laughs> right. You know, like you find yourself like, what am I watching? Like this is crazy. This is crazy good. But what happens when? Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen the when, and the when has been Sloan rising to the occasion, but still being nipped at the line by Simona Halep. Mm-hmm. It really sets the stage for a scintillating finish to the hardcore season. Absolutely. I mean, this could be the U.S. Open final. We have no idea. I think. Sloan is a very formidable player defending her U.S. Open title. To see her win again would not surprise me at all, like 0%. Uh, She has points to defend, and clearly she is motivated to defend them because she went one round better Mm -hmm. in Canada this year. We've said that before this year. What's Mm going to happen when Sloan isn't playing with house money right when it comes time to defend those points that she won last year coming back from injury Mm -hmm. this was the first time and she handled the moment almost impeccably so close to going two rounds better and like making it so much easier on herself the rest Mm -hmm. of the year and this year you know last year simona put in just a a very bad performance against fidelina in the rogers cup final or semi-final Losing six one six one, it was so bad that she was moved to apologize in press, which was awkward. 
Yeah. It was, it was just a, a, like, confusing performance. Like, she couldn't feel the ball at all. Then she made the Cincinnati final. And had a similar and again, performance. had a, just a not, not a great day at all. So this year we're seeing, it seems like a totally different person. Someone with the same game, but who, with along with her coach, has put things together mentally. This is a totally different player than we've seen right. in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Simona has risen to the challenge. She's had a lot of practice in getting to this right. point. And now she's acting and playing like the world number one. We don't know if it's true, but allegedly, after the match, she addressed the crowd in Romanian to then tell them that if y'all are coming to tennis, you need to behave better. Right. You know, like, uh -huh. you can't be acting like this at a tennis match, which well, we've... Anybody who's been to a, a Simona Halep match knows well, what it can be know. like with the Romanian fans. You know what we're talking about. <laughs> Let's just leave it there. And for her, in her moment of glory, to, again, allegedly... We ha we'll have to wait to get it confirmed by another source. But if, so far, I've only seen it yeah. tweeted by one person. But if that is what really happened, we were both kind of like... Like, oh, that was... No, it was like legit. It was jaw-dropping. Shocking, yeah. So... Simona is Rogers Cup champion. She's adding to her lead at number one. I think Sloane Stevens is one person who has put herself in good position to achieve number one. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but Simona could hold on to it for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, elsewhere in Montreal, Ashley Barty made the semifinals. Carolyn Garcia really needed a good result. She's been, you know, kind of okay lately, and she lost in the first round of Wimbledon. But she beat Maria Sharapova quite convincingly. Mm -hmm. And what else? I'm, I mean, the only other thing about Rogers Cup I wanted to say was, what about the uh, the shot clock? Is there anything you wanted to? I think it's put been mostly that? a non-story. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because even there was this one moment in a Rafa match where he was called for a time violation warning, and he kind of laughed it off. But by and large, even he's clearing the shot clock pretty right. easily. Right. And so I think what we'll see is eventually you hear the car alarm. Some car mm -hmm. is alarming in the parking lot. <laughs> what you'll see eventually is that folks just won't pay much attention to it anymore. I think it will kind of yeah. come and go. Unless there is some moment where an umpire loses his mind and doesn't exercise <laughs> discretion right. in a high-intensity moment. I think it will be more or less a non-issue. Yeah, I think that basically we'll get used to it, just like we got used to the challenge system. Like, it'll become normal. I think as long as umpires are allowed to exercise discretion with the clock, it'll be fine. You know, as as long as we don't kind of mechanize the game too much. Because I think a little too much is made of the time between points. I don't know that it's a huge barrier to new fans of tennis. If there is data on that, I would definitely be willing to look at it. But right now, it's pretty anecdotal, mm -hmm. I think. I mean, it's it's easy for me to sit here and say, well, Rafa handled it fine in, in Toronto. Like It'll probably not be an issue. But he has always said that it's a little bit ridiculous. Because when you're three hours in, four hours into a big five-set match, you're really going to be out here holding me to 20 right. seconds, and 25 seconds? discretion. You know, yeah. if it's a shot, a 26-shot rally... Are you going to abide by the score or the, the time that closely? Um, so, yeah, 
I think now, without further ado, we will introduce our sit down with Sasha Bayan, who you may know as at Big Sasha on Twitter. Mm -hmm. As you said, he was the hitting partner and functioned as a coach for a long time to Serena Williams. Eight years, spent time living in her house with Venus. Um, he's worked with Sloan, worked with Azarenka, Caroline Wozniacki, and now in the new year, he's been working with Naomi Osaka and led her to her first big title at Indian Wells. He said he told us in the group interview, we're bringing you the one-on-one, -on -one, but he also sat down for a group interview with a lot of reporters. And he said, what, what would you have done if you had won $1.4 million? And he said, Naomi went to go see a movie. <laughs> <laughs> they went to yes, see went uh, to Black see Panther. Black Panther and Indian Wells. And that was used to kind of show Naomi as a grounded person. You know, that explained that she is she, a, a joy to work with, but also somebody that he doesn't have to worry about getting too big for her britches. Yeah. You know? So here we are. Enjoy. I have heard you say in the past that it's important for you to be able to hit with your players, yes. to be a hitter and a coach. Yes. Um, is that something you think is necessary throughout your whole career? Like, is it something you foresee as part of a, a yeah. really important part of I your mean, style? I mean, so far it is. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to hit as well in 20 years, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm going to be just old. But um, obviously, right now, I do believe that I have an advantage of still being, you know, younger. Uh, in physical good shape so that I can hit with my player. Uh, it's easier for me to see tendencies, where she goes, you know, where she can improve. Um, I had the pleasure and great honor of fitting with Serena, you know, every day for eight years. So, and that's probably, you know, one of the best balls you're going to get from the other side. So I can kind of feel and know how far away her shots are from, you know, the world's greatest. So it's just it's just easier for me to see. Plus, um, a lot of people underestimate also just the visual help that you get if you hit with somebody who doesn't. That's my God, I don't want to tap myself on my own shoulder. But if you t hit with somebody who hits clean, you know, and who hits good, I'm sure there's a thousand guys who hit better than me. So yeah. please don't make me look like <laughs> right. I'm like you know tapping it. But I think that it helps her and. Um, and I can decide how competitive I want it to make. I can set up certain balls uh, in a way that I want her to hit a certain shot. So I believe it's just from a benefit that I'm able to hit with her, yeah, mm -hmm. a huge benefit. I've heard you talk about that sometimes maybe there are labels put on you. Yeah. Like for example, that you're just a hitting yeah. partner, not yeah. a coach. Yeah. Um, and that maybe that you're somebody who only works with women. Yeah. Uh, with this, opportunity with Naomi now, even though you have been a head coach for a while, is it important to you for the public to view you as a head coach now and for you to stake your claim as like somebody who is really accomplished in this regard? Uh, you know, I never really cared about it, you know. Um, they always gave me some labels, you know, I even had from home, you know, my mom telling me like, you know, mom's always going to be mom, look out for her son and telling me, yeah, you should be named a coach, you should be the... So listen, as long as I can work do my job and my players know what I do for them and how I work and what I sacrifice, I'm good, whatever the public calls me, you know. Um, I do believe I do so much more than just coaching, which uh, helps, I believe, Naomi a lot, you know. So the less energy she has to spend uh, off court, the more she can bring to, the, to her on court, you know. So, and that's setting up for everything. So 
that's just me. Whatever the public want to label me, they label me. As long as my players know what I do for them, I'm good. Right. You said that you were looking forward to a little bit of a break from traveling after uh, ending things with Caroline, yeah. and then Naomi came around. Yeah. But what were some of the things that you were looking forward to doing in those two days? <laughs> Yeah, Before Naomi came calling, and then you yeah. had to change things. It's like sleeping in, enjoying <laughs> my house, you know. Um, Anything outside of tennis, or just taking a break? Yeah, no, it was just like, uh, you know, I'm very dedicated. Like, if I work, I really dedicate my whole life to it. I've missed my mom's sister's wedding. You know, right now, my best friend that I've known from kindergarten is getting married. Um, I've missed every single event I can possibly miss um, for this job. So just the smallest thing you know to have a Christmas at home to you know to just little, see my dad's grave you know to see my sisters to play tennis with my nieces like to just sleep in little things you know that you that people take for granted once they once they don't travel as much or aren't home yeah just a plain plain basic normal life I guess mm. yeah is it uh it's important to you to have kind of a close personal relationship with your players because obviously with Serena you were very close yeah. living in the same house yeah. is that do you think that contributes to your coaching relationships like is it important I do believe that of course I want to be friends with my player but on a respectful way uh, what makes it hard sometimes is because we do spend so much time with each other that the line between employee and you know coach and player gets blurred a lot of times um, I I, of course, yeah, like see Naomi as a friend, but I've learned a lot from the Serena situation where we were really close, like, and I, I still consider her part of my family. But it makes things sometimes personal when they shouldn't be. And, um, and I've learned from it, so I try to like maintain just a, enough of a little distance, distance with Naomi, yeah. With Naomi and having spoken to her and watched her in press, it seems like her earnestness and her willingness to share her thoughts and emotions about really anything, if you ask her, is is an asset for her now, but do you think it's something that could hinder her in becoming like a truly top player? Do you think that at some point she'll have to become more closed off um, from allowing us to see who she yes is? And, yes and no, like that's the beauty of it. I said that in the beginning of the year that the, the real beautiful thing about Naomi is that she's just such an honest person. Like, you, I never have to think if she says something or acts in a certain way, okay, is, it, is she like, you know, is she really hurt now? Is she sad? Is she happy? Is she, like, you'll know immediately. Like, it's so raw and untouched that it's just something beautiful to see because a lot of people are just fake. And they'll sometimes, you know, they'll be happy and then they act sad. Or if they are sad, they'll act happy. And I really appreciate that about her, and I really love that about her, and it, it, it actually makes my job a little easier. Maybe she shouldn't be to you guys so much, <laughs> but to me, no, yeah. but I, 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 believe, I believe it's a good thing, and I believe that the world can take an example of her, you know. Because it seems like maybe it's part of the machine of being a tennis player and talking to press and maybe saying something and then you feel like it's taken out of context. Eventually, years down the road, you become a little bit jaded with the whole process, and it doesn't seem like she's yeah. anywhere near that right now. No, not yet. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I've seen like interviews after Charleston and, uh, and, and situations there, but um, you know, showing, showing those feelings you know, could be something good and could be something bad. You know? So I believe that 
of course, further down the road, maybe she'll get more used to it somehow. But um, I, I see it as something beautiful and as something good. Do you think, finally, do you think that your familiarity and comfort level with social media is something that the two of you have been able to bond immediately over in, in getting your relationship on good, good footing right away? Yeah, I think... Because um, she mocks you all the time she does. on Twitter. I know she does. I know she does. And I don't even have Instagram, and I know she does it there too. But, like, oh my, I always get some messages and, you know, telling me, like, ah, you lost the game today, you had to do this. Uh -huh. and I'm like, yeah, great. How do you know? Ah, look at Instagram. So, so no, that's where, like, yeah, I believe that um, because I'm very outgoing, which she was a little bit reserved in the beginning, I think we kind of met maybe 70, 30 my way. Now she's actually, you know, coming more towards me. And um, I like seeing that, you know, I like I like seeing that she's trying to challenge me. Uh, I'm, I'm never being, I've never been the type of guy to shy away from a challenge. And it, it's it's all, as long as it's in good sports, it's fun. You know, I do, uh, I see it as fun. I've been getting in so much trouble with Twitter. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, like legit trouble where, uh, you know, but. Uh, she no. told me in, in Charleston that she was just watching and she saw you say something and she just kind of stood back and watched and then, it all exactly. burn. And then she said, <laughs> had a good time. And later comes the apology from me. <laughs> I've seen yep. it actually, I've, I've read that or heard it, yeah. But um, that's just, yeah, I guess my serve impulsiveness coming out sometimes <laughs> or like not overthinking it or actually just, you know, not even thinking in such a bad way as people might take it, you know, yeah. like I might post something and then you can always see something negative in yeah. it or something bad and ooh, he threw shades at that, you know, like I remember a post and yeah, you, know, you can take it as an example, like the post post Serena's mm -hmm. victory in, in Miami, All right? My whole team was sleeping and I posted a picture saying, hey, this is how you prepare for the GOAT. This is how my team prepares for the GOAT, uh -huh. for, to play the yeah. GOAT. And, you know, Naomi was sleeping, my strength and conditioning coach was sleeping. And I thought it was so hysterical <laughs> that they're all sleeping. Meanwhile, I'm on edge, you know, my, my leg was going 150 beats a minute and I was nervous and I'm like, how can they be so relaxed, you know? And I'm freaking out and, you know, I'm trying to like, what is happening? And people thought I was being disrespectful towards mm -hmm. Serena. Where I, that was not even like on my radar whatsoever, you know? If so, it was the contrast because I was the guy who was like kind of, you know, nervous and stuff and they're all just chilling and sleeping. So I thought I'll, you know, tweet about that. That was funny. In my mind, I got, you know, slapped all over Twitter. <laughs> so uh, that was 10 minutes later, came to tweet, you guys, you know, why do you point out the negative? So I've been getting in trouble, even though sometimes I don't mean it, but there's always someone who's gonna throw some shade at some. Right. Thank you, Sasha. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for making time to sit down with us. You'll be hearing from David Taylor, current coach of Madison Keys, in one of our subsequent episodes. Look out for other content from The Body Serve. Check out thebodyserve.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Body Serve. For the most part, that's where we'll be tweeting from this week. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll be on the grounds all week if there are our specific questions or matches you are interested in and want us to cover, you know, send us a note. In the meantime, my name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. And look out for our coverage, like you said, at the body serve on Twitter and at the body serve on Instagram. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.